It sat on my mother's nightstand for years. It was the translation of the scripture that she dearly loved. It was called the Good News Bible. It would not be the Bible used by scholars or serious students of the Bible looking for academic rigor, but it was written in a language that touched my mother's heart. Good news. She believed the message of scripture was good news. Why, just open, open that first book of the Bible to Genesis chapter 1. Starts with good news. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the beauty of God's generosity of creation burst forth with the seas and the dry land appearing and the creatures appearing and last and importantly, humanity. And we find there God saying, let us create humankind in our image. Some say the first reference then to the Trinity Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, way back in the Old Testament, that God says, let us create humanity in our image, bearing the unique stamp of the divine, more so than any other part of creation. And clearly, clearly, because of the story of the Garden of Eden, God has a very special place in God's provision, God's plan, God's intention for humanity. He wants something for them, not just from them. He has an intention, a purposefulness. And God's love is irrevocable. It is relentless toward humanity, making provision for them in this garden, saying, now you can, you can enjoy this, you can enjoy it to the full. I want you to have the full expression of my heart for you. And in doing so, God crafted within humanity this unique thing we call freedom of the will. Because you see, what God wanted was willing sons and daughters. A forced son or daughter is not a son or daughter, that's a slave. So God said, I will craft, I will create you in such a way that you have the freedom of will you may choose the life that you will live. You may choose my way, exemplified by this beautiful garden with all of my provision, with all of my hopes for you, with my intention for you being good. Or you may choose a different path. Now there is that tree in the garden, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, I'm admonishing you not to eat of that tree. The consequences will be severe, but he did not say, I revoke your will to do it. And what we have in that story is the story of the fallenness of humanity in Genesis chapter 2, where Adam and Eve make that choice to say no to God's intention, God's provision, and to say yes to their desire, their intention. And in that fallenness, in that fallenness, the right relationship that they enjoyed with the Holy One, the right relationship they enjoyed with each other, the right relationship they enjoyed with creation was distorted and destroyed and a great gulf was created by their disobedience, their willfulness. And there is now the gap. And the fallenness is there. But God's intention is still toward redemption and restoration. 
There is a Christian writer by the name of John Ortberg who was writing some things about this, and I enjoy the way he writes, the style that he writes. And as he was talking about this, he used the term stain. That all human beings are flawed, we are all stained. And as he made that reference, it called to mind an experience I had, most unpleasant, most embarrassing. I had been teaching with a colleague of mine a Bible study at the church I was serving. We had had great fun, a fairly large group of women in the church. We had taught throughout the fall semester, my colleague and I. And we were going to take a break for Thanksgiving and for Christmas, pick it up in January. And one dear soul said, well, why don't, why don't everybody just come to my house? I'm going to, I'll just fix you dinner. Sounded good to us, and so two preachers and all those ladies got together in this house. When we walked in, it was right out of better homes and garden. Finally appointed everything in its place, a carpet that was snowy white. It was clear never a child nor grandchild nor pet had ever made footfall or pawfall on that carpet. My colleague and I took note of that. Now, she had the dining room table all set. And we had somewhat sturdy paper plates, and so we made our way through the buffet. Got a piece of ham, some green beans, those cute little boiled potatoes, a little slaw, and for dessert, there was a cherry tart with whipped cream on top. Now, because the table was full of food and it was a large group, we just sat around in chairs in that big living area that spilled out into the hallway. We could all see each other. And so we were trying to balance our plates and gingerly put our drinks on the carpet. And we're having conversation. And at some point during the conversation, I took my plastic fork and I started applying pressure to one of those boiled potatoes, I thought, in the center, but as I applied pressure, it made a break for it. <laughs> it scooted across the plate with lightning speed, totally ignoring the ham and the green beans and headed straight for the cherry tart. <laughs> now friends, in that moment, everything switched to slow motion. I could see that boiled potato just firing itself across there, I shifted my knee upward, trying to slow its travel, but what I did was create the perfect launch angle, so when it hit the cherry tart, it put it up in the air, flying end over end, I watched as it reached the zenith of its rise, and began its descent. Throwing my leg over to break its fall, it hit my leg, broke apart, fell onto the carpet, whipped cream, cherry mixture, side down. And I watched as it oozed its redness into the long white fibers. Suddenly, it was very quiet. <laughs> when I raised my eyes from looking at that cherry tart, my eyes locked with the eyes of my colleague, and for the first time in my life, the only time in my life, I could read another person's mind. He was praying. He was praying, thank you God that Ken did that instead of me. What are you going to do? 
kind of hard to deny. It's right there in the open. The hostess came. She was most gracious. We did our best to clean it up, and, and we went on with the dinner. I got a fresh plate and made another run at it. Did not get a cherry tart this time. <laughs> but you know, every time I got up for the rest of that event, I would take my napkin and I would place it strategically over the stain on my pants. Isn't that just like us? We know. We know that we have a stain. Sometimes we like to deny it. Sometimes we like to cover it up. Sometimes it's easier to deny it and cover it up if we point to other people's stains which are so clearly evident to us. It's easier to pick them out. It's easy to attribute to them a deep character flaw while we ourselves have extenuating circumstances to excuse ourselves, to diminish the stain. In our culture, one of the things that I see happening is that people, by pointing out other people's shortcomings, by pointing out their flawed character, by pointing out their mistakes, their sin, their culturally inappropriateness, they draw attention away from themselves. And at its cruelest expression, it becomes a cancel culture where we point to the other and we cancel them in order to hide ourselves. The Apostle Paul says over in Romans 3.23, it's all level ground. You can't point to them without pointing to yourself. You have to acknowledge this, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. All of us are deeply stained people. Just imagine, just imagine I had a really big, giant screen, ultra high definition television set. And somebody had been able, with great technology, to record your thoughts for the last week, your attitudes, your behaviors. And now, in front of this gathered body, somebody pushes the playback button. What would we see? Would we see times when we've been cold-hearted about another person? Would we see times where we've had racist thoughts? Would we see times where we have been, we have been detrimental in the relationships that we say matter most to us? Have we been uncaring to those God has given us to love? Have we been miserly in using our resources in ways that God has called us to bless? Have we had those moments of lust or envy or disdain, apathy, unforgiveness? Paul says it rightly. There's not one perfect among us. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God in our best moments. You and I know that in our best moments. We know that we are stained people in our best moments. We know we are not who we want to be, who we need to be, who God calls us to be. And we can try to cover it up or we can try the old stain management technique of 
that old apothecary scales. Well, if, you know, if, I, if my stains are weighing me down over here, if I do enough good deeds over here, I can balance the scale. I can get enough on this side of the ledger to kind of blot out the negative on that side of the ledger. That's why Paul says in that Romans 7 passage, the very things I want to do, I end up not doing. The very things I don't want to do, those are the things I end up doing. He recognized that he had a stain and that he could not effectively tend to it. Over in Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 22, it says this, Although you may wash yourself with soap and use an abundance of cleansing powder, the stain of your guilt is still before me, declares the Sovereign Lord. The gap with Adam and Eve is the gap we have. But God acknowledges that. And the Holy One says the Scripture has done something about it. That's the good news. And that good news is in the person of Jesus. This is Trinity Sunday where we are, we are thinking about God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. At best, a mystery our human minds cannot fully comprehend. But in this, in this saga of God with humanity, the Holy One the Holy One in an expression of grace and love, relentless, irrevocable care for humanity. Has the second person of the Trinity to come, we know that expression as Jesus, born as a babe with a morning cry in the stable of Bethlehem. But as He grew, the Scriptures say He was tempted in every way as you and I were tempted. And yet, he was able to always say yes, yes to God's way. And no to his way. There, even at the Rock of Agony in the Garden of Gethsemane, on the night of which he had been betrayed, and when the cross loomed large for the next day, he prayed, even though I want this cup to pass from me, not my will, but yours be done. There was no price he was not willing to pay for your sake and for mine, even the price of the cross. That's God's irrevocable love for each of us. And it says he will be with us with the forgiveness for the stain of our life. And not only so, he wants to be our Savior for eternity. He wants to become the leader of our lives. He wants to become our companion and our champion to walk alongside us, to be transforming with the Holy Spirit in our lives that we might reach, we might reach that intention of God to be the magnificent human being God has dreamed us to be, to have the heart and the mind of Christ, that we are for the rest of humanity walking models of what God intends for humanity to be like, think like, act like, love like, serve like. That's what God wants for us. Jesus says, I'm going to provide divine power in your life for whatever circumstances you may face. And whether it's mountaintop or valley, you will find in me the source of a meaningful life and a life that honors God and honors you.
Friends, that is fantastic news. He'll be with us in our best moments, our worst moments. He'll be with us on our sick bed, our deathbed. He will receive us with our last breath of life here and our first gasp and grasp of eternity. What a great and glorious promise. Some of you have already said yes. You know the love of Christ as He spoke to Nicodemus in John chapter 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world, and you've inserted your name. For God so loved Mary, for God so loved Ken, that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever, so that Ken or Mary or Tom or Susie believes in Him, they will not perish, but have eternal life. And each time you give yourself the opportunity to re-engage that, for you to really contemplate that, for you in prayerful gratitude to express that, your heart is filled to overflowing. And may I ask of you that as you do that, you will also pray, God, please bring to my mind people that I know, people that you want me to somehow be your source of invitation. They're not yet followers of Jesus. And I know you love them, God. I know you want them in the fold. Oh God, bring their names to me so I may pray for them and I might be responsive to them when the time is right by the prompting of your Holy Spirit. And there may be some of you today who are saying, well, maybe, maybe there's something to this. Not sure, but maybe there's something to this. I want you to know this is a safe place for you to ask questions we would be honored to walk with you on your spiritual journey. We would do everything we can to take your questions seriously, to be patient with you. You will find in us a loving place. We do want you to make your own decision. It's your freedom of choice. It's your freedom of will. But there may be someone listening today, watching today, someone in this sanctuary today, and today's the day. You've looked at that stained side of the ledger and you've said it's time. Now I know that some of you can look at that stained side and you say, I, I just don't know. It's, it's deep and it's dark. I don't, I don't know if there's anything, anybody, I don't even know if God can do anything with the stained side of my ledger. There was a young woman who wrote a note to her pastor. She was lamenting about her dad. He was not living the best life. He was living a life where his relationships were being destroyed by his patterns of behavior, by his patterns of speech, by his self-centeredness, by his deep anger within, by his own sense of self-worth that was so deeply damaged. And in this note to her pastor, she said, My dad, my dad is like a red shirt in a load of white laundry. He taints everything he touches. My heart broke for that young woman. And my heart broke for that dad. You see, I believe, I believe there is hope for him. And I believe there's hope for all of us who are red shirt kind of people. And that hope is Jesus. So friends, if today's your day, 
or if you want to explore more, we have some information for you. It's right out there on the tables in that Narthex gathering area. And I'm going to be out there after the service greeting folks. If you can't find them, I'll help you look. But this is your invitation to come and see, to taste and see. God's intention for you is good. And your stain, says Isaiah, though your sins be as scarlet, they can be white as snow. Though they are crimson red, they can be like wool. That's his promise. And that's your hope. We're going to take just a couple of minutes and Frank's going to play a musical interlude and I'm just going to ask you to be praying. If you want to give thanks for your relationship with Christ, please do. Let your heart just overflow with gratitude and ask, ask for those names that you can be praying for and ways that you can serve them on their spiritual journey. And for those of you that are questioning, wondering, those of you that are ready, make your prayer. You don't have to understand it all. You just have to say, Lord, I acknowledge that I'm a deeply flawed and stained person. And I believe that I can trust you with that side of my ledger. And my life can be changed. He'll honor that prayer. And if you're willing, you can tell Pastor Clark or me or Pastor Jeff or Pastor Melissa about that. And we'll be glad to join you on that journey and help you every way we can. Let's pray together.